0: The letter to the church in Rome, the 10th chapter. The word is near to you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our Gospel Proclamation comes from the epistle to the church in Rome that I just finished reading for you and serves as the basis of our theme for this first Sunday in Lent. His name will save. The word is near to you, in your mouth and in your heart. These words of Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are drawn from the lips of Moses nearly 15 centuries before. Only when Moses said it, the people of God were most likely unaware what was going to happen next. Moses then told them that he was now 120 years old, and being commanded by God not to go to the promised land with them because of his previous disobedience, now someone else would lead them. How many of us have been there and done that? Served alongside beloved managers at work that made that fatal announcement that the time had come and retirement would be the next stage of their life, or... A promotion came for their faithful service, but that meant no longer working with you. Or a beloved commanding officer gave the classic speech that generals don't die, they simply fade away. And not wanting to be counted among the fading elites, they knew it was time to leave long before their soldiers wanted them gone. Or that beloved teacher or pastor that served faithfully two and three generations of your family, getting the call to another church or knowing it was time to clear the desk and clean up the classroom or hang up the stoles. We've all been there and wondered in each of these situations. Now what will we do? The knee jerk reaction may be to lash out, feel betrayed, Or simply cry the classic sour grapes. Well, if I can't have you, I don't need you. I'll be just fine without you. Watching the classic movie Donnie Brasco with my wife this week, I was struck by the immaturity of the wise guy that demanded loyalty from his recruit to the crime family and the classic line spoken angrily by Al Pacino, You don't leave me, I leave you. I think this is our natural sinful inclination. We want those who benefit us to stay with us. We want the security and the familiarity. That is fine when it is God's will for them to be with us, but sometimes God causes us to grow by making them leave us. I'll never forget the time Marcy and I had to say goodbye to the pastor that married us. He got a call to serve as a missionary in Russia, and as I remember it, Marcy and I mourned a chapter in our life ending, a mentor leaving us, and while we were moving on, we didn't have that pastor anymore that did so much to mentor us into marriage and pastorally care for us. We simply wished he could stay for us. Then, later in life, we had another beloved pastor that matriculated us into the church where we attended after leaving college. An absolute spiritual icon in our lives, and to this day, one of the best preachers we have ever heard. But when he announced his retirement, we understood why. And we knew that our spiritual well-being was not contingent on his presence in our lives. This is exactly why the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to remember how the Holy Spirit inspired Moses in our lesson today. No mere mortal will be the contingency for your spiritual well-being in this world ever. Rather, it is the word of God that will be in your mouth, your heart, and the basis with which you will proclaim his message of hope to people who are sinners desperately needing God's redemptive work. But the Holy Spirit knows now, 1,500 years after Moses, that people did not hear this and need to have it reiterated. This past week was an amazing reality check for me in the challenges that face the church. With all the blessings we have had over the years as Christians in America, we are a church in decline. Certainly, we are tempted to blame COVID, and no doubt that did as much damage to the church as it helped the church, so basically a wash there. But the truth is, it has been indocumentable decline for decades. And I'm sure we're all tempted to blame the world, turning away from the Gospel, and in particular the liberal movement to ignore God's word when it contradicted progressive causes Christians were so eager to participate in. Not our problem in our national church body, and yet, while we declined much less than the liberal churches, we still declined instead of growing. When Pastor Mendedo, the head of Lutheran Bible Translators here in America, joined us last week, he educated us on the statistic of the Lutheran Church I knew about in Tanzania, but did not know was similar in Ethiopia too. From 1959 on, roughly the time Lutheran missionaries were having an impact on Ethiopia and Tanzania, the Lutherans in America began to decline in numbers. Yet in Tanzania and Ethiopia, they increased rapidly. So much so that the Lutherans in Tanzania and Ethiopia combined have more than 20 million members and are still growing. Do you know how many Lutherans are in America? That's right. Seven million. And every Lutheran national church body is still declining. This seems to be the case in most every traditional mainline biblical church in America. While there are a few outliers that are making some gains with new, innovative churches and ministry styles, they're mostly re-baptizing and effectively drawing Christians that may simply be tired of the same old thing and interested in something different. So the sheep are simply shuffling. There is a battle for the soul of America, and we need to know where the lines are being drawn, not only for Lutherans, but for Christendom. And I believe the eminent Baptist theologian Justin Peters discovered right where those lines are when he said the battle is not on the inerrancy of Scripture, it's on the sufficiency of Scripture. Our real problem is We got so prosperous as a church in America, we forgot what made us so prosperous to begin with. I don't know if you know this, but Christian literature, curriculum, self-help guides, and spiritual guides are big business in America. Nearly every church body has their own publishing house that print books, self-help guides, comic book novels, Christian romance, early church father reprints, music, VBS programs, day school, and Sunday school curricula you have a knack for writing, you may have a future opportunity to make some money off of a book you might write. The danger is, for it to sell, you may be tempted to market it as a necessary tool for your spiritual well-being, and then unwittingly challenge the notion that Scripture is sufficient. And that's in the safe confines of structure of the National Church Bodies. What about the pop-up companies that promise to help you publish any book, make any music, write any skit, make a children's message, or even the next great Christian movie? Thousands of temptations to tell the people of God this new resource will really help your spiritual life instead of the word of God in your mouth and your hearts. Even worse than that, the Holy Spirit anticipated the real heresy that is bombarding God's people is the temptation to look in upon ourselves and that it is our personal faith and how we believe that it's powerful when the reality is it's what we believe in that is powerful and scripture is sufficient. And I think Ethiopia and Tanzania prove Paul's point today. Their resources are a fraction of what ours There are no luxury facilities and multimedia libraries. There are no beautiful colleges and seminaries and ivy-covered havens of peace. There are no new hymnals and technology constantly reviewed and updated for public consumption. There's only their Bibles and the basics of the faith and worship that guide everything they do. They don't have massive conferences with clever speakers and people willing to spend hundreds, if not thousands, to participate in monthly memberships and stay at golf retreat resorts by the ocean. There are no pastors separated from the parish, charging hundreds of dollars an hour to counsel other pastors on how to be anything but the pastor the parish needs. There is simply the gospel of Jesus, Christians devoted to his word, and the flood of more coming into their church every day. And it makes sense to me why. Here, we sit in America seeking the next program to save the church that doesn't end up delivering just like the last program to save the church didn't. Here we look to men and women alike who encourage us to be something we cannot be so we can be motivational speakers like them one day and no longer waste our time at a dying church. Here we look outside the church at the successes of Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and celebrity pastors with tens of thousands of members on TV and consider their methods as viable, if for nothing other than just getting more people in the seats then look at what the Tanzanians and Ethiopians are looking at. They look at CNN and realize they must send us missionaries because clearly America does not know who Jesus is and they're shocked to see churches are here when they arrive. They see the village and they see their Muslim or voodoo adherent who doesn't know Jesus and passionately tell them the joys of forgiveness and redemption found in him. They go to churches made with unfinished cinder blocks, tin roofs, no air conditioning or protection from insects. And they see all the sufficient death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead as the very purpose of every word written in the Holy Bible they are devoted to every day. Where we grow frustrated with everything that disappoints us in the church They look only to the thing which never shames, disappoints, embarrasses, disgraces, or ever dishonors them. Because they know worldly riches do not let you get past the laws of entropy, which means everything decays in its time and we know everything outside of the gospel indeed dissipates without severe and constant promotion and maintenance. And while heresy and self-idolatry will get halfway around the world before the truth of Christ's gospel will ever get off the front porch of the church, heresy and self-idolatry must continuously be pushed by demonic forces bent on our utter destruction to our eternal exhaustion. But the truth of the gospel never need be sustained because it will always be proclaimed for anyone who might call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Now, may that peace, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.